I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofett along with Rich DeCray. It has been a plethora of transfers coming into the University of Oklahoma from old Rocky Top. Uh, We got some breakdown and some thoughts on those. Rich is asking the true or false questions tonight, but let's begin by talking some Oklahoma basketball. The Sooners with a win over Texas gives them, um, gosh, that's three top 10 wins so far on the season. Number nine, West Virginia, number nine, Kansas, Number five, Texas, and oh, by the way, number nine, Alabama visits Norman on Saturday. Rich, a lot of people were talking about this game uh, Tuesday night with Oklahoma and Texas, and the the train of thought was really along the lines of the players that were out for the Longhorns, and you heard it over and over and over again that they were only able to go eight deep. Well, you didn't really hear a lot of people talk about the fact that Lon Kruger only went nine deep. And one of those was Brady Manick who continues to ride a horrible funk, only one point on the night for Brady Manick and for performance from the floor. But that said, I think people need to be talking about how good this Oklahoma team is. They, they won. What were they supposed to do, Rich? Were they supposed to go to Austin and say, you know what? You guys can only play eight. So we're only going to play eight. You guys can't have Shaka Smart, so we're not going to have Lon Kruger. I mean, if Oklahoma wins wins that game, the talk is, well, Texas didn't have this guy and that guy and that guy. But if Oklahoma loses that game, then the talk is, well, you know, Oklahoma is not that good because they lost to a shorthanded Texas team. Oh, and by the way, if you want to draw some parallels, can we talk about the fact that Oklahoma won this rivalry in football? without some of their top players? Can we talk about the fact that Ramondre Stevenson didn't play in the Cotton Bowl? Can we talk about the fact that Ronnie Perkins didn't play in the Cotton Bowl? No, they don't, they don't want to hear that. They just want to hear the excuse train. But the reality is, Rich, this is a really good Oklahoma basketball team. One of the things, as far as this Oklahoma basketball team is concerned, one of the things that I think is often overlooked is the strength of schedule. When you look at what Oklahoma is having to do by the way no program has done this since 1996 when they started recording these stats no team and this includes march madness matt no team has played three top 10 programs in the same month oklahoma has come in all throughout the month of january and they've continuously answered the call they've stepped up to the challenge that is the teams you've mentioned the west virginia's the Kansas is the Texas Longhorns. Of course, when we look at Oklahoma's schedule, it's easy to look at the the four losses and say that, okay, they're maybe not as good as we thought they are. They're, they may not be as good as some of these wins suggest that they are, but we also have to recognize that this is a team 
of those four losses, one is to Baylor, who still, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is the number one team in the country and, and is making a push for that. As long as Gonzaga stays undefeated, I don't know that they're going to take that top spot from them. But Baylor's on a 15-game win streak, has not dropped a game this season, and that was a 15-point loss for Oklahoma. But then you look at two of these other losses where they barely lose against Texas Tech, who is a, a pretty good team also ranked and then there's the four point loss to Kansas on the road in Lawrence this is not a team that you can take lightly it's a team that I said would surprise more than just a couple of teams in the conference we're beginning one that has experience two that has depth and three knows how to get to the charity stripe on a consistent basis which is what makes them so dangerous and it's why they're going to continue to push for a top three finish here in conference play yeah, and that's the thing, the top three. And 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 when you look at the starting five here that Long Kruger's rolling out, and you consider that that starting five doesn't include Brady Manick, and they're good. I mean, that's just the thing. Harkless, he's a guy you mentioned early in the season. We talked about him last week on the podcast. He's coming along. He had another big game against Texas. I don't know that Brady Manick can work his way back into the starting five the way they're playing right now. I don't, I'm not going to jump to that kind of a conclusion just yet, Matt. I do believe that Brady Manick, again, the lone senior that has been here for four years well, Austin, under the tutelage. Oh, I've been of, there for four years. Okay. Okay. I was, yeah, Cause I was going to, I was going to say, yeah, go ahead. Under the direction of Lon Kruger. So the knowledge of the system that Brady Manick has is not something that we can easily bypass. It's not something that should be overlooked. You look at his ability to stretch the floor. It's something that this team is going to consistently do, but someone's got to, got to fill that role of a role player. Again, I don't think that's Brady Manick. I think Lon Kruger is smart and taking it slow with him and slowly working him back into the rotation because of the injury and because of the time that he sat out with COVID as well. Well, he's definitely dealing with something. You talked about COVID, you talked about injury, but this isn't the same Brady Manic that we've seen the three previous seasons. But I just, I got to wonder as he works his way back, is he not more valuable as an asset off the bench? Because you've got Mo Gibson, who's, you, you like to continue to talk about the continuity and the consistency, but you need somebody else off the bench. And I'm, I'm wondering if as Brady Manic works his way back into being healthy, is it not a better fit to have him and Mo Gibson team up off the bench as opposed to a Harkless or somebody? I mean, whatever Long Kruger is doing right now is working. And I'm always of the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mindset. I don't know that I would tinker as all I'm saying. I don't know what I would tinker with what they're doing. They've got number nine, Alabama coming to Norman on Saturday. That will be a challenge, but it's not like the, you just you just went through the the gauntlet of their schedule that they've had so far this season. I don't think there's anything with Alabama that that intimidates Oklahoma. Alabama could be a better team than Oklahoma, but o- there's a legitimate chance that Oklahoma's a better team than Alabama, and their Sooners are certainly aren't going to shake in their boots over playing a top ten program when they've played three in less than a month, right? Right. The SEC is not what it has been here with a down Kentucky team. We're not really seeing the strengths of the SEC rise to the top of that conference like we have in the past. And instead, it is a team like Alabama. Alabama, a group that's on a 10-game winning streak, 
has put together a handful of impressive games, but there is a but here, Matt. When I look at Alabama, the one thing I'll say is that if they are hitting three-pointers, yeah, they're a team that's going to be extremely difficult to beat. And that shouldn't be a secret to anybody because Oklahoma is going to play a very similar style. When you look at the magic number, for me, the magic number is eight. If Alabama hits eight three-pointers in this game, they've got a really good shot of winning it. But the flip side or the reverse of that is if Oklahoma hits eight mm-hmm. three-pointers in this contest, they've got a really good shot at winning it. Okay, so give me your biggest concern with this team heading into that matchup for Alabama. I'll tell you real fast, for me, it's still the bench play. I mean, I, I, you know how I feel about Mo Gibson, but Brady Manning didn't provide a whole lot in Austin. I think they've got to get more scoring off the bench. To me, that's my biggest concern. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going with that question as well, Matt, as we kind of laid out what we wanted to talk about, depth is always going to be a concern as you get further and further into conference play. I know this is a step out of that, but as you get further and further into the season, the guards begin to dictate just how good your team can be. I think this is a a group of players, whether they're coming off the bench or whether they're in a starting role that have been capable, but I've said it from day one is I want to see that consistency. And so far it hasn't been there. We've talked about who's taking charge, who becomes the leading scorer. Is that a Devion Harmon? Is it a Brady Manic? Is it an Austin Reeves? Is it a Mo Gibson or is it an Elijah Harkless? There are all candidates All five of those names that I've thrown out are candidates to lead this team in scoring. It's who's going to do it consistently. And then again, who can do that consistently Mm -hmm. off the bench to provide that spark so these starters can get some rest. Right. So um, give me your biggest reason for hope. Why will Oklahoma beat Alabama on Saturday? I actually have two for this. And I briefly mentioned one. I'm going to hit hard on the second one. The first one is Oklahoma finds a way to get to the free throw line. They're one of the best in the country in knocking down free throws. They were at 77% against Texas entering that game last week. I don't know how that's changed since then on the season, but that was good enough for number one in the big 12. The thing that, that I'm really surprised at When we look at this team, I wouldn't say that they have a clearly defined point guard. Let me rephrase that. When I look at this Sooner squad, I'm saying that they don't have a point guard who is a natural fit for that position. Most of what we're seeing is this evolution of the point guard towards more of a two guard who wants to score points and has the ability to create for themselves, find some space, and then put the ball in the bottom of the net. Given that fact, I expected more turnovers um, into this season. In Oklahoma, they're only giving up 10.6, or I shouldn't say giving up, they're surrendering 10.6 turnovers per game. That's an impressive number to use. Yeah, and, and turnovers have always been something I've, I've looked at when we're talking about basketball teams engaging success. You know, the more the more opportunities you give the other team, that really it leads to the less success that you have on the court yourself. Okay, we're going to move on to true or false, and Richard's in the driver's seat for this one, so buckle up. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Matt, as you know, I love putting you in this position because these questions do come as a complete surprise for you here on the Sooner Nation podcast as I list off five things that I'm curious on your thoughts for. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump in. I'm going to continue this conversation as it pertains to basketball, Matt, because you and I have had not a heated argument, but we've clearly disagreed on numerous occasions as to who the best team in the Big 12 is. After watching Oklahoma and Texas and the Red River rivalry on the hardwood, Oklahoma claims a win on the road. Sure, it's a one point a one point win, but a victory is a victory. True or false? Texas is still the best team in the Big 12. Man, I knew you were going to throw this at me. When I was watching that game Tuesday night, I knew this was coming my way. Um, I'm going to say true. Um, we just didn't get to see the full Texas team on Tuesday night. I don't, I don't think that takes away Sip from Oklahoma. Sip the Kool-Aid. Sip the Kool-Aid. No, listen, I don't think it takes away from Oklahoma's win. I really don't. That was a big win for Oklahoma to go on the road and get that. But the reality is, if you had to bet money right now, would you bet for Oklahoma to beat Texas in Norman if the Longhorns at full strength and Shaka Smart's on the sideline? I wouldn't. I, I really felt like Texas buckled under the pressure. You look at uh, Campbell, uh, the, the point guard there, and he, getting that fifth foul, that was a terrible decision on his part to draw that fifth foul. There was some pressure there because they were shorthanded because it was Oklahoma, I don't think I'm going to go on out and say Oklahoma's the best team in the Big 12. I do think they're the, the third best team in the Big 12 right now, but I would still rank them Texas, Baylor, and then Oklahoma. All I can do is shake my head at that comment. Baylor's going to go undefeated at home this year. That's backing up. That is one thing that scares me about Alabama is that they're 4-0 and on the road this year. Matt, looking at this Oklahoma Sooners team, knowing what they've accomplished, the, the gauntlet that they've run, knowing where they were picked to finish the season and without a true, at least right now, without a true superstar establishing themselves as the go-to guy, true or false, this is the best team that Lon Cougar has coached at OU. Oh, that's false. Until they go to the final four and make it. I mean, you look at Buddy Heald and until they, until they make a final four run, Buddy Heald's King at OU under the long, the long Cougar tenure. This is a good team. It may be the best team he's had post Buddy Heald, but again, until they, they make a, a run into the final four, I don't, I don't think you can say they're better than that team. And so to me, I don't even have to think about this. It, it's false. Buddy Heald's still the best team that Long Krieger's coached at Oklahoma. Well, don't be surprised if this Oklahoma team makes a run into the Elite Eight. But I'm going to switch topics on you here very briefly. Matt, have you seen the non-conference portion of the schedule for Oklahoma football I in have. 2021? Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. So you know that it features Tulane, mm -hmm. Western Carolina, yep. and Nebraska. First, first ever I've seen a couple of headlines. Western Carolina. I have seen a couple of headlines Sorry which have that. labeled labeled Oklahoma's schedule from from start to finish, not just looking at the non-conference portion of the schedule, but from start to finish as among the most favorable 
in the nation. So true or false? That's, that's the question. True or false? This Oklahoma 2021 schedule is one of the most favorable in the country. Um, I mean, look, Oklahoma is going to be hands down the best team going into the Big 12 next season. So they won't be an underdog at to start the year. When you look at the Big 12 slate, they're not going to be an underdog in any of those games. I think what does save them a little bit is that the two lane game is on the road. Um, that, that Western Carolina game is, that's just a, a gimme like Missouri state game was this year, Nebraska. There's a lot of fun in that rivalry, but Nebraska is terrible. They just lost their quarterback as well to the transfer portal. So yeah, I'm going to say it's true, uh, but I don't think it takes away from how good Oklahoma is going to be. What if, if you want to look at a favorable schedule, you can look at Clemson as well, by the way, they're. I think it's. I think maybe Clemson could give Oklahoma a run for its money in that department as well. Um, when you look at how they don't play, Ohio State the same way. When you look at how they don't play everyone in their conference like Oklahoma does, we know that Texas in the Cotton Bowl is going to be fun. And it's going to be a hard, a hard game for Oklahoma. We know that Bedlam and Stillwater is going to be fun, and it's going to be a hard game for Oklahoma just because you have to play everybody in their conference. And here's the thing: I'm going to give a nod to Oklahoma and say that their schedule is going to be a little bit more difficult than what people are giving them credit for. It's that Iowa State's going to come to Norman with a big, big chip on their shoulder. And that team's returning pretty much the same group of people that Oklahoma went to the wire with in Dallas to win the Big 12 championship. So I don't, I don't know that there's, that there's 12 gimmies on Oklahoma's schedule. I do know that it's going to be a fun schedule. And I do know that Oklahoma should hands down be a favorite to be in the college football playoffs. I definitely agree with that statement, which is a very good segment for from me. I, I wanted to save this one to last, but I'm, I'm going to bump it up to number four here, Matt. When we look at Oklahoma's schedule, we look at the fact that there were some positions that Oklahoma needed to address depth with, as well as a competitive nature on and when i see that oklahoma has dipped into this college football uh excuse me into the transfer portal of college football and come out with five transfers who are immediately eligible and fill those holes that oklahoma has been looking to fill oklahoma true or false with those five transfers are now ranked too low in the way too early rankings remember espn had them at number three well, let's go back and let's think about who is number one, who is number two, and what they're missing and what Oklahoma is gaining. If you'll remember last week when we recorded, one of the questions I asked you was about these transfer guys coming out of the portal. Would they be the key to Oklahoma winning a national championship or at least playing in the championship game? And I don't, I don't see how you can deny that at this point. And there's a lot of, a lot of attention is drawn to this Tennessee transfers because there's some big time guys in that. And and the running back Gray is the one that really you got to circle his name as a guy. He's a freshman All American, and he's going to really you're getting Kennedy Brooks back. You've got a young Seth McGowan who's only going to get better. 
we talked about Mikey Henderson and what Oklahoma may or may not do with him to get more opportunities for him to touch the ball. But the reality is this team has gotten better. Well, even when you consider who they lost, even when you consider losing Ramondre Steven and you, Stevenson and you consider losing Ronnie Perkins, this team is better now than they were when they left AT&T Stadium after beating Florida in the Cotton Bowl. So, yeah, I, th- I think you could make a legitimate argument that Oklahoma can enter the 2021 season as the best team in the country based on what we know as of right now they have at their disposal. I'm just going to skip ahead because you mentioned a name, Eric Gray, transfer running back out of Tennessee that Oklahoma happened to pull in and convince to join this this stable of backs and compete with Kennedy Brooks for playing time. Mm -hmm. When we look at the addition of an Eric Gray, I want to just hearken back really quickly, Matt, to football and recruiting, because one of the things we know that Oklahoma missed out on was a running back. And it's been two years in a row. Eric Gray steps in and kind of alleviates some of that pressure or some of the concern from the fan base and those who follow recruiting heavily. But here's, here's the flip side of that. This is my true or false question for you as well. Because Eric Gray is now on the Oklahoma roster, true or false, Oklahoma is no longer in the running for 2021 running back LJ Johnson. I think that's false, and I'm going to tell you this as well. I don't think the Samar Wheaton saga is over with yet either. Um, Getting gray was a big, big accomplishment for DeMarco Murray, who was really receiving a lot of heat from fans uh, over losing out on Samar Wheaton. But it's still – the fact still remains that Samar Wheaton has not signed a letter of intent with Alabama. And every coach that was significant in his recruitment is no longer with Alabama. And so, you know, you still got Nick Saban there. Alabama is still a juggernaut that they have been and will continue to be until Nick Saban gets bored with college football or finally wants to ride off into retirement, whatever that guy decides to do. But the reality is Samar Wheaton can't sign until next month. It's almost February. We're recording this on January 28th. And until he signs on that dotted line, it's not finished with him. LJ, I, I will say this. I do feel like at this point, Oklahoma may have a better shot at Wheaton than they do LJ Johnson. And and that's just kind of the way things set up right now. But if you remember, we talked about transfer portal options, but not really transfer portal options, but we talked about JUCO transfer options. Getting Gray out of the transfer portal is better than any JUCO option that Oklahoma had. So I will say that I think the, the, the propensity or the, the, the likelihood of, Oh, you go into the Juco route is not there, but I still think if, if smart Wheaton comes around, they're going to take him and same thing with Johnson. But um, I don't, I don't think they're done with either one of those as far as chances, but I do think that there's a greater chance for Wheaton than there is for Johnson and those chances are below 50% at this point. So I wanted to, I want to talk though about the three transfers from Tennessee. And if you remember when we recorded last week, Rich, I, I mentioned specifically running back, defensive back, and defensive line. 
and the defensive line hasn't happened yet, but pay attention because if it's going to happen, it's probably good. People who are listening to this podcast, it will probably happen by the time you get to listen to this podcast, because we're recording this. Like I said, it's, it's 10 o'clock Eastern time on, on the 20th of January. I think these guys have to make their decision by the 29th of January. So if you're going to pick this up on Saturday or Sunday and listen to the podcast over the weekend, what I'm about to say is either going to happen or it's not going to happen, but there's still an option out there at defensive end. And the thing is, is it, it kind of comes through Tennessee as well. When you when I'm talking about big cat Bryant and he was going to leave Auburn and go to Tennessee, Tennessee fired everybody. And that kind of sent him back into the portal and he hasn't come back out anywhere yet. There's still people thinking that he's going to go to Tennessee. There's people thinking that he's going to go back to Auburn. And if you look at the transfer portal, crystal ball predictions, they have him coming to Oklahoma. And I don't know how long ago it was rich, but it was before we recorded the last podcast. I texted you about this guy. And I was like, look, keep an eye on this because I think this dude's going to land at the university of Oklahoma Truthfully, I thought it would it would happen by now. But when you look at just the the three guys from Tennessee alone, Wanya Morris, uh, the the Lawrence kid at 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 safety, and then we we talked about Eric Gray at running back. These are three guys that I think are going to come on campus and immediately begin to push guys around. It, is is Lawrence is Key Lawrence going to start at the University of Oklahoma? I, I don't know. But I promise you, Buki is going to be paying attention this spring, and he's going to be competing for a job. When we've talked previously that there's nothing there to, to push him, well, there's something there to push him now. What about Wanya Morris? Is he going to start for Oklahoma? I don't know. But what I can guarantee you is that there's not a single offensive lineman that's going to show up for game one out of shape. They're all going to be fighting because it, it's, it's not just Wanya Morris. You got the kid coming from Arizona. I mean, you, you, you've got – there are significant position battles that are going to take place. Chris Murray, who was already already been on campus, but he's going to be pushing people around, looking for jobs. We thought that, that this offensive line was going to return three starters. Well, those three starters are returning to the team, but there's not a guarantee that Oklahoma is going to have three guys starting – this September who started last year, because there's three guys right now who have landed through the transfer portal. If you include Christopher Murray in that, there's three guys right there that could easily start for this football team. So if I had to make a bet, if you said, okay, Matt, bet right now, who's going to start? When you look at these, this trio of guys that came from Tennessee, all bets are on gray. Uh, this is, don't get me wrong. This is Kennedy Brooks team. Okay, it's it's not going to change. Kennedy Brooks is back. It will be his team. But Eric Gray will be to Kennedy Brooks what we've seen other running backs. We, we, we talk about Rodney Anderson. We, 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 we talk about some of those other guys who have been that, that change of pace guy, right? Trey Sermon. Gray is going to be that guy. This will be Kennedy Brooks last season at the University of Oklahoma. And then it becomes the Gray McGowan show in 2022. But this kid, freshman All-American, Gatorade Player of the Year for the state of Tennessee, set the state career touchdown record at Tennessee, in, in, for the state of Tennessee. It, it's it's going to happen, and it's going to happen quick. 
I like the names that Oklahoma has added. And a large portion of me wants to, just in quick review, mention a five-star offensive lineman that Oklahoma missed out on, which was Tristan Lee. We right. talked about the Caleb Williams connection. We talked about the having him on campus and hosting him through the midst of a pandemic, even though it was a student-led event, more so a prospect led event because Williams hadn't enrolled as a student at that point. There was potential to impress Tristan Lee as Clemson over the Oklahoma Sooners and the rest is history. But when a lot of people were looking at what this coaching staff was doing in the recruiting realm and became disappointed, this coaching staff, I think, surprised us all by going in and pulling out Awanya Morris. Why? Because he's a five-star mm -hmm. offensive lineman. And if you think Oklahoma was just going to let one slip through their hands with Bill Biedenboe, they said, think again, because that's not going to be the case. We said the exact same thing about running backs over the past two, uh, past two recruiting cycles. And now what do we have? <laughs> a running back coming through the transfer portal. I'm looking at this coaching staff and saying all the needs, they've addressed it. It just so happens to be a little bit of a coincidence there that we, number one, saw them go in, absorb three positions of need, but they all coincidentally come from the Tennessee Volunteers. Matt, I, I'm excited about what this team is capable of. I'm excited about the competition that will happen more specifically, as you mentioned, at that nickelback position, because I think that's where Lawrence fits in best right now. He's a versatile guy, very athletic, has a tool set that very rarely is seen for a guy that plays his position. So it'll be exciting to see just how Bookie, as well as Lawrence, push themselves for that starting role come spring. Yeah, let me ask you this question real fast. Talking about offensive linemen, and I don't want to take away from what I think Tristan Lee is, is going to become as a collegiate football player. I think this guy, based on everything you've seen, everything you've heard, everything you've read, he's, he's a legitimate NFL-type guy in time. But do you feel like Wanya Morris is a better option for right now than Tristan Lee? for right now yes yeah absolutely and and one you morris wasn't a slouch let's either. say this about tristan lee matt let me say this about tristan lee is i do think at clemson he could compete for immediate playing time i'm not i'm not saying, naive I'm not to think he that can't. he doesn't have that kind of talent but but i'm agreeing with you why because you have an offensive lineman who spent time at a division one college and has spent time in a weight room mm -hmm. and in a nutrition system that's not very typical at the high school level unless it's self-imposed and let's be honest I, I don't know that even if it is self-imposed you can match the caliber of what you would get at an sec football program more specifically at tennessee no, I, I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying. And again, I, I don't want to take away from Tristan Lee. But what I'm saying is you get a plug and play guy like Wanya Morris. And I, I, I guess Tristan Lee can play immediately, but so can Wanya Morris. And Wanya Morris is a lot more experienced than what Tristan Lee is. And so when, when you're when you're talking about breaking down this team and breaking down position battles, e even if Lawrence doesn't beat out Buki. Buki is going to be better because of that position battle. 
if Wanya Morris exactly. doesn't if Wanya Morris doesn't get to play as a starting offensive lineman, then whoever starts in his spot is going to be better because of Wanya Morris. You, if you're an Oklahoma fan and you're paying attention here and you're still complaining about losing out on a guy like Samar Wheaton, who, by the way, still don't think that's a done deal, but you're, you're, you're complaining about losing out on Samar Wheaton and you're complaining about losing out on Tristan Lee. You need to just kind of tilt your head up and look at what's happening right now because these guys, same positions, better talent as of right now. The only difference between a, an Eric Gray and a Samar Wheaton is you're not going to get Eric Gray for three years, right? Where Samar Wheaton, you got him, for, you guaranteed you got him for three years. And the only difference between a Wanya Morris and a Tristan Lee, you're not getting him for three years, but you're getting these guys and they're ready to play and they're really good and they're already battle tested and proven. The University of Oklahoma, I'm going to say it again, they are better now than when they left the field after the Cotton Bowl. And that was when they had Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins on their team. Trey Brown was on that team. By the way, Trey Brown's having a great senior bowl practice. Uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was all over the social medias, intercepting Sam Ellinger. Um, the great, I mean, look, this is a good team, and you have to be excited. Are you? Let me ask you this, Rich, as we kind of wrap this up. Are you more excited now about football in 2021 than you were on December 31st after OU? I mean, you, they beat them on, you know, they, they beat Florida on the 30th, but then the 31st, you're wrapping up the year going, Gosh, next year's going to be pretty good for OU. Are you more excited now than you were less than a month ago when OU wrapped up the Cotton Bowl? No, not at all. And the reason really? why is because, yeah, and the reason why, Matt, is because on December 31st, there were several names, a.k.a. a Ramondre Stevenson, okay, a Ronnie gotcha, Perkins, gotcha. Okay. that were still I, at play. That's, but that's, when, that's workable. When those, when those names came off of the roster and entered the NFL draft, that situation changed. I think I, what I would say is I'm back to a similar level of excitement as I was on December 31st. Okay, so let me ask you this. Then we're going we're gonna to stay with football, but step away from the Oklahoma football program in general. Josh Heupel, the new head coach at the University of Tennessee. Mike Stoops, defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic. Who stays at their position? Who's in their post the longest between Heupel and Stoops? And I really hope that it's Josh Heupel. And it's because he's getting his first crack at a legitimate powerhouse some people would even say a blue blood historically when it comes to college football. I hope that it's him, but I know that that is a tall task to take these orange and white checkers and turn them into something that can actually compete in the SEC when you're looking at the perennial Alabama powerhouse. Florida's coming along. Georgia is going to be a staple there as well. And we're waiting to see what's going to happen with LSU because that mass exodus to Oklahoma, Matt, I don't think it happened. I don't know that it's going to happen as <laughs> once was predicted. But needless, needless to say, I hope time. it's him. I hope it's him. I'm just not sure that it is given the situation that lies ahead of him. There's no doubt that's going to be a tough job for Josh Heupel in I did call a mass exodus. I just had the wrong SEC program. I had it coming from LSU. It came from Tennessee, but who, who would have known? Here, here's what Josh Heupel has going against him. You mentioned the competition in the SEC, but also there's, there's got to be some NCAA sanctions coming against that program as well. Plus, the cupboard is going to be extremely bare. 
in Knoxville uh, until Josh Heupel can, he's going to have to go and find some Juco guys immediately. Um, and he's probably got no problem with that because he was a Juco guy who came to OU and won a national championship as a quarterback. But I look at Mike Stoops being the defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic. And I just can't help but think that's he, Mike Stoops wants to be a head coach again, I think, or he wants to be a DC at a bigger school. And, and I'm happy for Mike after the whole debacle that happened at the university of Texas, where he was hired by Steve Sarkeesian. And then the boosters get involved and the boosters say, no, nope, you can't have someone whose last name is Stoops on the coaching staff here at Texas. And so that, uh, you know, that, again, we talked about that, that tells you all you need to know about the things that are happening down in Austin, but, the reality is, the reality is, that's a good landing spot for Mike Stoops to work his way back either into a Power Five, or into a um, head coaching job. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. You can find us online Heartland-Sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Thanks for so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. We'd love to hear back from you. Hit us up when you can. Boomer Sooner, everybody.